We are um, looking in the word of God in Matthew chapter number six. Um, Our theme for this year is we are. And uh, what we're looking at in this new year is discovering our identity in Christ. And as we discover our identity in Christ, allowing God to mold us into the individuals, into the families, into the community and the church that God has designed for us to be. Do you know that God has a plan for your life? Uh, Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jeremiah wrote this, that I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The Lord has a future that he has designed for you. And one of the challenges that we have is that we are obscured by so many things that are going on in our lives that oftentimes we miss out on what God has designed for us. Now, one of the other challenges about missing out is the fact that in our culture, we are taught to be very individualistic. You know what individualistic means? It means we're concerned about me, myself, and I. And even as you look at the church, many times when you hear messages, simply the messages about I need to get my things, I need to get my deliverance, I need to get my blessing, I need to get my breakthrough. And while we need to see each and every person individually get what God has designed for them, We also need to understand that God has something corporately that he's designed for his people and his body. Everybody say amen. 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 Uh, One of the notions that we're missing out on is this notion of understanding that God's design is bigger than just you. And some of you, that will come as a shock to you because you've been consumed with all the things about my life, my challenges, my things that are in front of me, that when God says that he wants to do something not only in you, but also in the lives of those around you, you say, well, just handle me first and, you know, whatever you do for them, that's extra. But I want us to understand in this year, 2012, that God has something in store that only comes when we operate as the body. So as you look to your left and your right and you see the people that are sitting next to you, there is a blessing that is in store based upon you connecting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the people that you say, well, I don't really need, you know, it's just God. He's just going to bless me. Recognize that there are some blessings that will not be manifest here on the earth till you are in agreement and operating in the way that God designed for you to operate. And so we're looking at body ministry and what does that look like? Well, at the beginning of the year, one of our patterns that we have as a church is we set aside a time of consecration. And consecration is a time where we make a determined effort to shut down our normal patterns, our normal rhythms, and to really focus in on God being exalted in our lives. And in this time of consecration, one of the things that we do is that we fast and pray. And in this fasting and praying, I recognize that depending on what type of um, church history or maybe we did not grow up in church, we may have different ideas of what it looks like to fast and to pray. And as we go into the word of God this morning, I want us to look at look at what does it look like when we are seeking God? 
with all of our heart. Let's look here in a very familiar piece of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter number six. It's a part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in this passage, the Lord is sharing uh, with these disciples and the crowd that is around things about how to operate and how to live according to the kingdom of God. And in this passage, starting at Matthew six and verse number 25, he begins this subject of do not worry. Do not worry. I know we're already just one week into the new year, but I've seen some of you and you're already worrying about 2012. It didn't take a long time before you started to worry. Some of you, you remember, all right, I got Monday off and then Tuesday it's back to the grind again. You were already worrying. Some of you, you're going back to classes and you know what it's like, man, I'm going to have to go back to these classes. I, ooh, last semester was kind of tough. But he starts off with this notion of understanding, do not worry. He's talking about understanding. We have to be able to walk in God's design. And he talks about, don't worry about your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or about your body, what you shall wear. And then if you jump down to verse number 33, uh, actually start in verse number 31. It says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But verse 33 says this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things things will be given to you as well. Verse 33 again, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to examine your word, even in the beginning of this 2012. And as we begin to launch upon our time of consecration, Lord, as a church, we're asking you, Lord, to be with us, Lord, even this morning as we take apart and look at this examination of seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. Father, I pray that, Lord, no matter what may be going on, you may teach us what it looks like when we prioritize you. Lord, that you may help us, oh God, Lord, to recognize some of the areas where we have lost you as a priority. And Father, that even as we examine this word this morning, you would help us to be diligent, to seek after you each and every day of our lives. Father, for what we have not, would you give us? What we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. When we look at life, we recognize that every single day we have a variety of information and things that are coming into our mind, into our heart, and things that we must do. Uh, I started at a young age using a Franklin planner. Some of you may remember what that was just because there were so many things that I had to do and I would forget most of them. And so I would write them down only to forget to check the things that I wrote down and then remember that I was supposed to do them. 
But when we look in our day and our age, we recognize that as a society, we've advanced in technology. But even with that advancement in technology, it has hindered or given us more information than we are able to handle. Uh, Scientists examined in a 2009 study that we consume over 11.8 hours of information a day. They said that in a given day, we can have 34.1 gigabytes of data that we consume throughout our reading of of things and information. Do you know what 34.1 gigabytes of data looks like? You know, you've seen an iPad, you know, uh, iPad 32 gigabytes. They tell you you can store 10,000 videos on on 32 gigabytes. So you wonder what 34 gigabytes of information each and every day means. What it means is that every single second, information is coming towards us. And every single moment, we are bombarded with paying attention and focusing on the things that we need to pay attention to. Well, one of the challenges that Jesus was talking to the disciples about was that he recognized if that these people were going to be his disciples, they were going to have to learn how to focus on the things that God had desired for them. You see, they were consumed with a lot of things. And he talked about, don't worry about what's your life, about what you shall eat, what you shall drink. They were concerned about things that many of you may be concerned about these days. We're concerned about security. We want to know, you know, will we be taken care of? Will I be able to have security? I don't want to go out and walk out on the street and get injured or hurt. They were worried about personal worth, esteem, and value. They watched the Shark Tank. They watched The Apprentice and they wondered, man, I would love to be able to have some money and be able to use some of, take some of the inventions that I have and take some of the things that I want to do and be able to have the resources to be able to bring it to fruition. They were worried about power. With worldly wealth and material success, they want to be able to use those to have power and influence. And some of us were consumed with, hey, I I, want to understand what does it mean to have power? They were concerned about independence, being able to operate on their own and everybody look and say, that's so and so. They were concerned about pleasure. They wanted to make sure that with all of this life, we could look back and say, I had fun. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. What happens in Boston stays in Boston. Yeah, it'll stay in Boston. But as they were consumed with all of these things, the Lord transforms their understanding and renews their mind to understand. And he says this here in Matthew 6 and 33, that in spite of all of these things, security, personal worth, esteem and value, power, independence, pleasure, all of these things. It says the father knows you have need of them. He knows you have need of these material possessions. He knows you have need of this aspect of wanting to have these various things. But he says in the midst of all of these needs, some of them very legitimate needs, he gives this instruction. And the instruction is seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom 
and his righteousness. I want to examine this instruction here in verse number 33. And I first want us to understand what does it mean to seek after something? Because many of us, when we look at it, we look at it just as it's been illustrated here. We look at this pursuit of God and we say, many of us, if we're here, we're worshiping in the morning. We're seeking after God. But I need you to understand that not every seeking is the same type of seeking. And just because you say that you are seeking does not mean you are seeking the way that God has designed for you to seek. And what exactly does that mean? To seek means uh, to have a desire to experience something with the, uh, the implication of making the desire real. It also means to ask for earnestly or to demand, to strive for, to expect, to consider, to examine, to investigate, to find that type of thing that you're looking for. In one definition, when it talked about seeking, it talked about examining something almost to the point of death. What it meant was that it was something that was a pursuit. Have you ever pursued after something? Now, I know what it was like to pursue after my wife. And and when we were dating, I was pursuing after her. And so, you know, I would find out, oh, what is she like? You know, get flowers. Okay, what type of food does she like? And I was trying to find out every single way that I could please her. And one of the challenges that happens in marriages and and couples come to us after they're married is that after all of that pursuit, people get the ring. And then they forget what it looked like to pursue their spouse. They forget what it looked like. You want me to open the door? You got two hands? Open the door. They forget what that pursuit was like. But did you know why you pursued it? Because you earnestly desired to be a part of that very thing. And in this aspect of seeking, the Lord is saying that he's looking for those who would seek first his kingdom. Now, probably a best example of what it means to seek is looking at a biblical character. And if we turn in our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, we see this story in this biblical account of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah, of course, which uh, many of you know, our son is named after Nehemiah in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And Nehemiah was one who he had been part of those who were exiled. He was part of the Jews who were exiled. And as they were exiled from their places and their lands and their homeland, Nehemiah began to become consumed with all the things that were going on. And he was consumed with the fact that he wasn't satisfied with where his people were in relation to God. In Nehemiah chapter number one, uh, he says uh, and he asked them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And in the response, they said to him, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah speaking. He says, when I heard these things, I just walked away. No. When I heard these things, I just said, all right, God will do something. When I heard these things, I just said, God will find somebody to fix it. 
When I heard these things, I said, well, God got an anointed man of God, Pastor Joseph there at Mars Hill. He can send him. No, when Nehemiah heard these things, he says, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Why do you think Nehemiah made a choice to mourn and to fast and to pray? It was a choice because he recognized that he was in pursuit of the heavenly father and he was not going to stop until God's plans were done on earth as it was in heaven. And so as he began to look around him and began to see all the turmoil that was taking place, he didn't just say, well, that's a terrible situation. I hope somebody comes around to fix it. He says, Lord, where do I need to be so I can be a part of your plan of fixing this challenge and this thing that is going on and transpiring? You see, this aspect of pursuit and seeking first is what Nehemiah did. And you will know what you are seeking by what you depend on daily. And I can tell whether or not you're seeking after God by looking at your day planner and seeing what are your agendas? Can you go a day without prayer and you just live on? Can you go a day without communing and in relationship with God and life is just the same? Can you go a day without or a week without going and being in fellowship with your brothers in Christ? And you just say, well, all right, there was just another week. I missed church. All right. See, this notion of what you are in pursuit will be revealed in your life. And many of us, instead of having something that we are deliberately pursuing after, we just go after whatever catches our eye. You know what that looks like? It looks like what some of us do when we go into the supermarket when we're hungry. You ever gone into the supermarket when you're hungry? You ever find out you come out with a whole lot of extra stuff, chips, gummy bears, cookies, Snickers, Butterfingers, all kinds of stuff that you didn't desire to get. But what happens is that when your attention is not focused on the things of God, you will just be tempted by whatever comes along. And so when you're hungry, oh, Snickers. Now, I've been fasting for a week, so, you know, this Snickers look really good. And so you look at these things and you're saying, wow, this is really good. And what happens is that we become in pursuit of just whatever comes. But God did not design us to just be in pursuit of whatever comes. He designed us so that we would be in his image. And as part of being in his image, he designed us to seek first his kingdom. And that's a part of our assignment. And part of our assignment is that every day that we wake up, we have a job to do, and that's to seek after God. Now, he says this in this pursuit, seek. What are you seeking after? You're seeking after his kingdom and his righteousness. What does it mean, his kingdom? His kingdom means God's sovereign rule in heaven and on earth. And so when you're seeking first first his kingdom, it means that you're seeking that God, you would be Lord over everything in the midst of my life. I don't want something else to be Lord. Whether it's finances, whether it's promotion on the job, whether it's my friends, I'm seeking first your kingdom, which means that you are Lord over all. But the second part, he says, is that I'm seeking first your righteousness. 
Now, it in particular talks about his righteousness and not our own righteousness. And we may look after that and say, seeking his righteousness and say, oh, well, that means he's seeking that I do a whole bunch of good works. You see, seeking first his righteousness recognizes there is not enough good works that you could do that will ever gain you favor for God to say, oh, my goodness. That person was created so beautifully. Look at all the things that they've done. They earn my favor and my grace. I know some of you, 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 you're wonderful. You've done many great things. They talk about you in newspapers. They talk about you all around. But there's never enough things that you could do on your own to earn God's favor. But when you seek first his righteousness, what it recognizes is recognizing that this fact that I come into this place each and every day dependent on God. And it is, if it was not for his righteousness... I would not be in right standing before God as my Savior and my Lord. And so he says, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, how do you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? The first thing that you I want you to notice is that when it says here, seek first in verse number 33 of Matthew chapter six, it says, seek first his kingdom. You will notice that the verb seek is given in what is called the present imperative. An imperative is a command or an instruction. So it is telling you not it's optional to seek. It's not telling you when you feel like seeking, seek. It's not saying, well, you know, if you have some time after you've done everything else, seek. It's giving you a command or an expectation. And that command and expectation is seek. But it is given in what is called the present imperative, which means that it is an ongoing or a habitual command seek first his kingdom you see in other religions people seek God by going to a location or perhaps going to a religious shrine but we as New Testament Christians and believers we do not have to go to a physical location to seek God do you know that you can find God even when you're at home You don't have to wait till you get to Sunday, 11 a.m. at Mars Hill Fellowship Church that you can find God. Thanks be unto God, because as a mobile church, if we had church at four o'clock, we'd be wondering, God, are you here? You're normally here at 11 a.m. Are you going to show up? But here as Christians, New Testament believers, we have the blessing of the fact that we can seek God and he's not limited to a physical location. But no matter wherever we are, The omnipresent God welcomes worship with all of our being in whatever we're doing. So we're not limited by location, not limited by place. But he's telling us seeking God is a habitual daily discipline and practice. What have you done today to seek after God? What have you done in your life to make it a priority that you're looking after the things of God? Now, when we say seeking after God, many of you may think of it in the imagery that we're trying to find God. Now, as many of you can see here, it's not pretty hard to see that God is written on the floor. He's not hidden. He's here. 
And as he's here, he's visible. And when it says seek first and recognizing that we are to seek, it's not talking about the fact that we are, God is hidden from us. But what it's talking about the fact is that when you go throughout life, guess what? There are things that come out that like to hide God. In the midst of all that's transpiring in life. So you got some things at work. They got a job promotion, so they need you to work overtime, need you to do some things that are necessary. So, you know, what happens? You get more and more things that begin to come out in your life. And what happens? You got a family. You got another child on the way. And, you know, all kinds of situations going on. And you're wondering, all right, Lord, how can I do all these things? And so what begins to happen is that when they talk about seeking after God, it recognizes the fact that God is not hidden, but he's obscured, obscured by all the other things that get in the way of us seeing God. Can you be honest and say there's some things that sometimes obscure you from being able to see God in the midst of your life? I don't know about you, but hey, there's sometimes very important things. The mortgage is a very important thing. You know, without it, I'd be sitting on the street. But sometimes that obscures me from seeing God because I'm more consumed with the mortgage than rather about seeking first his kingdom. Some of you who may be on unemployment, you know what it's like. Hey, I I need a job. But in the midst of needing a job, sometimes you get so consumed because it seems like you're in despair. And it seems like I've gone so long, Lord, without a job. How can I really focus on seeking first your kingdom? Maybe it's schoolwork. You know what it's like. Professor who this is their first semester teaching and don't know what it's like to be a student. You get so consumed with all the work that it's hard to see God in the midst of those things. You see, what happens is that seeking God is uncovering some of the things that get in our way on a daily basis from us being able to recognize that God is our number one priority. And if we're not careful Some of the things that are so important, you know, all these papers are not junk papers. I know which I mean, these papers are very important. They have a system. And and even though they were in a bag, there's some very important papers that are laid out here. And when we're done here, please don't throw away these papers because I need them. (laughs) And God recognizes that there's some very important things that are going on in your life. But he's saying that if you're so consumed Oh, my goodness, I got to just focus on this piece of paper here. You won't miss out on you'll miss out on the fact that whatever you're looking for, he already knows where to send you. Whatever you need, he already knows how to get it. Whatever you've been saying, Lord, I need this in my life. God is the one who knows how to make that provision. But instead, we look at this mess and say, oh, man, I've just got to fix it. And so we spend time just kind of trying to dig through all of these stuff here. And we're digging and digging and digging until we realize that the pile keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we haven't been able to see what God desires for us. He says, seek, seek after me. 
And in Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. You see, you have to understand that seeking after God means a commitment to recognize and pay attention to God's voice. And what happens when we engage in this discipline called fasting, when we engage in this place of calming ourselves down to really hear God and hear his voice, what it means is that what we are doing is seeking after God and clearing away some of the stuff that has gotten in the way of us seeing God. We're seeking that God is first in our lives. Then we'll be able to deal with the stuff. What does that mean? Is that when we seek him wholeheartedly, fasting as a discipline is one of the ways that we seek him. And when we do this, God shows up and reveals himself. Fasting is not simply engaged as a tool to manipulate God. And as a matter of fact, God condemned this type of fasting. You see, fasting that was used when it was used to just be something that appeared spiritual, but was really only reflecting the carnality of what was going on. If you look earlier in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to talk to the disciples and the crowd that was there about fasting and what was going on with their fasting. And he says, guess what? When y'all fast, you know what you do? Oh, the Lord, he's, oh, he's had me on this 30-day fast. and Oh, I'm famished. Would you have any water? It has to be pure water because, you know, the Lord has been speaking to me, and I can only drink pure water. And you know, you've been around some people when they're fasting, you just don't want to be around them. You're like, all right, I understand that you haven't eaten in three days, but it's all good. And Jesus condemned this type of fasting because he says, guess what? When you do that to be seen by men, guess what? You've gotten your reward and you're full. In Isaiah chapter number 58, he condemns them and he talks about their fasting and he gives this what he says about their fasting. He says, you guys, when you fast, you act pious. Can you imagine that? You're supposed to be humbling yourself in fasting. And God comes in and says, when you're supposed to be humbling yourself, you're exalting and have pride. You're pious. Why did he say you're prideful and pious? He says, because you come to the temple every day. You're delighted, seem delighted to learn about me. You act like a righteous nation. You would never abandon the laws of God. You ask me to take action on behalf of you. And you say, oh, Lord, I will worship you. As the deer panted for the waters, so my soul longeth after thee. Did you see me when I was worshiping when Jordan was worshiping? Did you see how much I was worshiping God and just singing out? And then the Lord says, why am I not impressed with this? Why am I not moving on your behalf? I'll tell you why. And he said this, you're fasting to please yourself. Fasting was not designed simply as a way to manipulate God. 
Fasting was designed as a way for us to get out of the way and to commune with God. And in seeking God first, what it means is that we're seeking his presence and seeking, Lord, that in this time of fasting, I want to hear your voice. And when I hear your voice, I will obey. Fasting without communing with God is futile. But here we see that not only does the Lord instruct him to seek first, seek first to seek the kingdom and his righteousness, but he tells us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And in a society that does not like absolutes, we don't like to hear a discussion of what I call priorities. But the importance of seeking God is not just that we're seeking God, but seeking God first. Now, what does that mean or why is that different? You see, when we put God first, our part, it enables us to receive the fullness of what God has designed for us, his part. And it means that when we're seeking God first, above all else, God alone will be the sustainer of everything else. And it means that if something is first, guess what? Something has to be denied. If something is first, it means that others have to wait. Now, when we see the scripture that tells us seek first, this is my example of what some of you do by seeking first. Lord, I will seek you. Lord, look at that. I sought after you. You see, some of us, when we think about seeking first, we think it about an experience. We think, all right, Lord, I'll give you my two minutes. I read my Bible verse of the day. But what God is talking about is seeking first where you begin to say, man, I'm going to get down here in this mess and clear away some of this mess so that in the midst of whatever is going on, Lord, I'll cry out to you. Lord, you are the God who reigns in all the earth. I recognize there are some things that are in my life right now, Lord, that are in places where you never designed them to be. Help me, oh Lord, to be able to move out those things that are taking my attention away from you. Lord, I desire desire, Lord, oh God, for you to be first in my life. And Lord, anything that comes in my life that is taking precedent over you, move it out the way right now. Move it. Move it, Lord. Move it. And the challenge that we have is that when we are seeking after God first, We have to be ready for God to reveal stuff that he says move. It's no good if you say you're seeking after God. And then when he says move this out the way, you say, but God, don't you know? But God, don't you understand? But God, don't you understand that my family needs this right now? But he says move it out the way. Seeking first means that it is your number one priority. Without it, you will not be able to go another day. Seeking first means that it is taking precedent, and that means that everything else has to take a back seat to God being glorified. How can you know whether or not you are seeking God first? Well, it's easy to say that God is first, but the only way that you know that God is first is someone tries to cut the line. You ever been somewhere waiting in line? Someone tries to cut the line? 
You'll see how you think about priorities when someone tries to cut a line. You've been waiting an hour. <laughs> but would you do the same thing when something tries to cut in line and get in front of God? What happens when career, money, possessions, all these different things try to cut in line in front of God? You say, oh, come, come on in. It's, I know it's just for a moment. Or do you say, hey, wait, 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 wait. God is number one in my life. This is a place that only belongs to God. You, you're in illegal territory. You can't, you can't park right here. You can't stand right here. This is a place that belongs to God. And I won't allow any of the life circumstances to come in and to temporarily park only to find that years and months later, it's still parked there as Lord in your life. Now, One of the things that happens, especially during fasting, is that God exposes what's on the inside of us. And one of the most difficult times of this place of fasting and consecrating and going before God is when he exposes things that you know are in there, but you didn't want to have to deal with. When he begins to go into those crevices that you thought you said, Lord, you can have all my life, but just don't touch this part. I know about those times when the Lord will say, let me get into that place that you said that you don't want to talk about and begins to say, am I Lord in this area, too? And so what happens here that we understand is that God exposes these things. But he expects us to respond. And we need to understand that he expects us to respond not only individually, but corporately. And the reason why we do a corporate consecration is that God wants to do something mighty. And he wants to do those things, not only in your life, but he wants to do it in the lives of this community. And the only way that that happens is when we all who have been redeemed begin to come together and say, not only, Lord, what do you want to do in my life? But what do you want to do in the life of Mars Hill Fellowship Church? What do you want to do corporately? What do you want to do in this area of Austin, Brighton, and Brookline? Have you ever prayed? Have you ever gone in your prayer closet and asked God, what's obscuring you, your presence here in the life of Austin, Brighton, and Brookline? Have you cared enough about this community or have you said, Lord, just get me out of here? Lord, I'm just here for a season. But if you're there for more than one second, you have a purpose that God has assigned for you. It may be just to bless someone that you see on the street, but never neglect that God has a purpose. So we're looking at it both individually and corporately. But I want to close with this. As we look here in Matthew 6, it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And it says, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when we seek God, And put first his kingdom and his righteousness. There is always a reward. God doesn't offer us a reward simply to bait our materialistic desires. I mean, think about this. If we spend time fasting and praying to get out all the materialistic stuff, the point or the reward is not for God to pour back in all that materialistic stuff. Do you do you see that? I mean, if you spent time fasting during this next three weeks and you said, oh, Snickers, I won't touch you. And then you start to see I'm a little more healthier, too, as I'm fasting. 
The point is not that you fast and then you go back. All right, Pastor Joseph, hurry up and close the sermon. I'm ready to eat my Snickers. And some of you, your attitude or your reward is get me back to what I was doing. And at the end of this time of fasting and consecration, you just go back to the same patterns, the same rhythms, the same things that you did before. But that's never what God designed as the reward that he wanted to give you. You see, greater than whether or not there's a Lexus or an SUV here, the greatest reward that he says that when you seek me, the reward I'll give you is that you'll find me. I will be your father and you will be my child. You will find my presence is more alive in and through your life. You see, I cannot walk another day where I walk as if I'm walking alone. I'm in some stuff right now where I need God to show up and show out. And I'm seeking God and I'm turning down my plate, not only because I want God to move in the midst of those situations, but because I know whether or not God gives me a million dollars or whether God decides to take me step by step by step of the way, I know that it is only by his grace that I'm going to get through this thing. And every moment I'm waking up and sometimes I'm waking up in cold sweats. Reminding me of days when I was coming from um, Detroit, Michigan, coming here to Massachusetts, and I was going through the diabetic neuropathy, and as I was on all these different types of medications, I remember there was a season where I was waking up, and as I would wake up, I would look and I would feel the bed, and underneath the bed, I would feel the outline of my body, cold sweat, had just begun to soak the sheets there. Because even though I was asleep, I was worrying. Even though I was asleep, I was afraid. Lord, I don't see how you can get me through this. And certainly, I had my way that I wanted God to bring me through those circumstances. But what God said is that I'm going to take you step by step of the way. Now, I look back and I can look back almost 10 years later and wonder, Lord, how faithful have you been throughout these last 10 years to me? I can look back at some circumstances and I know that while I was in the midst of that circumstance, it looked like I was on my last leg. But now as I look back, I see I'm still standing. And that which the enemy tried to take out, I'm still here testifying and giving glory to God. You wonder why I sweat so much up here? Because I'm excited about giving God glory. And even if I look foolish with all this sweat on my face, I said I'm going to be foolish for God. Because there was a time where the sweat that was coming out was sweat of fear and anxiety. But it's sweat of joy now in knowing that, Lord, you are faithful. And I know that there are things in the midst of my life that will try to creep their way back in. But every moment that it tries to creep its way back in, I remember, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I'm not just talking about memorizing a verse. I'm talking about living out what God has designed for your life. What are some of the all the things, all these things that are in your life? What are some of the things that you've been petitioning God for and you've been saying, Lord, if you'd only move in this way, then I'd be able to serve you wholeheartedly. God says, really? 
seek me first. You say, God, if only you'd bring me a husband, I'd serve you wholeheartedly. God says, really? Seek me first. You say, God, if only you'd bless my business, I'd be able to seek you wholeheartedly. God says, really? Seek me first. If only you'd be able to restore these things that are going on in the midst of my life. God says, really? Seek me first. You see, the issue is not whether God is capable. The issue is whether you'll trust him who's already capable. The reward of fasting and turning your plate down is you begin to see things clearer. You begin to see the things that have been warming your appetite. You begin to see the things that you've been holding on to for the rainy day. You begin to see the things that you stored away and say, all right, Lord, I might get hungry along the journey. I need these things. And then you come before God. Says, let go of it. Lord, that was my dream. Give it over to God. Lord, this was my family. You know how much family means to me? Give it over to me. Lord, these were my finances and resources. You know how important these were to me. It says, give it over to me. You'll never be able to do it on your own. Every single one of these things, at some point, will run out. But God's mercy and his grace is everlasting to everlasting. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We did a survey in the church as we were preparing for life groups. And the startling reality was that the number one issue of being involved and being connected with what God was doing at Mars Hill Fellowship Church was that I've gotten too many other activities that I have to do. Too many other things going on in my life. God's been challenging me that if we're going to walk forward in what God has called us to do in 2012, we're going to have to reprioritize some things in our life. I know that job is important to you. I know that career is important to you. I know that family is important to you. But you'll never be able to do it alone. He called you to be a steward. He didn't call you to try and do it on your own. You don't recognize that some of the very things, they're blessings that God designed. They've consumed you so much that you're missing out on the point of it all. And that's God being Lord over your life. 
Now, I don't know what reprioritizing looks like for your life. But I do recognize that in everybody's life, God asked us to lay some things down at the altar. Doesn't mean that he's forgotten about those things. It just simply means he wants to know, am I first in your life? Do I have all of you or do I only have a part of you? As we're starting off a new year, I recognize that we are going to have to lay down every part of us before God. And it's not just talking about a one time I ran to the altar and had a great experience before God and look how powerfully he moved. But it's going to have to be a seeking, which is a present imperative. It's a daily command. And every day that you wake up, you ought to be in the presence of God saying, Lord, thank you for another day. It's only by your grace. Some of you have been looking and you've been on the verge of promotion. You've been on the verge of situations where God is elevating you and God is opening doors. But I guarantee you this. If God is not first in your life, that open door will actually be a curse rather than a blessing. There's some of you that the Lord is saying, I'm trying to prepare you for future blessings. But I can't trust to put things into your hands because you haven't made me first. I would hate to get to heaven and the Lord say there was so much more that I wanted to do through your life. But I never could trust to put things into your hands because you were so busy doing what you wanted to do that you missed out on seeking first me. Over these next three weeks, we're going to shut down corporately to reprioritize, not just for a season, but that our lives are going to be changed, that God be first that he may prioritize in everything that we say and that we do. But in order to do that, you have to make a choice. The decision is in your hands. And the decision is this. Will you be willing to get down on your knees and clear away some of the stuff that God says move? Will you be willing to make a sacrifice? I'll give everything over to you, God. It's a choice because you know what? You can, you can look and you can do and appear to everybody else that you're doing all the religious things. But God knows what's going on in the midst of your heart. And God is asking for all of it. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to ask you this morning to respond to what God is saying here corporately to Mars Hill Fellowship Church this Sunday. I'm not talking about specific things. 
But I'm just asking you to make a commitment that during this time that we're journeying as a church to clear away some of the mess, to commit to being faithful, to seeking God first. There may be some days where you're tired, where you you don't feel like doing it, where you may mess up. I'm not asking you to be perfect. But it says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, seeking those whose hearts are fully committed towards him. I wonder, will you make a commitment that your heart will be fully committed to God? No matter what goes on and what transpires this week. If you'll make that commitment. Just as a sign of commitment both to God and to the leadership of this house, just simply raise your hand and put it back down and say, I'll commit to searching and to seeking after God. I'm committing to, Lord, making you priority in my life. I don't know exactly what that may look like. You may ask some things of me that I don't know how I'm going to do it. But, Lord, I'm just going to commit that in this time, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. That whatever you say in my life, I'll do it. I'll give it over to you. Everything. All that I have, I'll give it to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Just all over this room, let's just begin to stand. I just want to pray. And I just sense that as we're committing before God, that we just need to lay some things down. And just as we, I begin to pray, just begin to lay down. If you have some weights, if you have some challenges, maybe as I was asking you to commit things over to God, the first thing that came into your mind, whatever that was, you'll say, but job, but family, but my child, but these circumstances, but resources, that thing is the thing that is hindering you from fully giving giving yourself over to God. And I just sense we just need to lay it over before God and make total surrender here in this presence. And so as I pray, I just want you to give over to God whatever it is that you may fear that may be hindering you from being able to fully commit to God. Whenever you're wondering, Lord, I don't know if I can do it. But God says, you can do all things through him that strengthens you. Come on, let's just begin to pray all over this auditorium this morning. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we commit over to you, Lord, our lives, all that we are, all that we hope to be, Lord. We give it over to you, Lord, believing by faith, Lord, that as we lay everything to you, oh God, Lord, you are faithful, Lord, to restore and to bring into order every single thing, oh God. And Father, we confess before you our sin, oh God. Lord, our sins of pride, oh God. Lord, the area in our lives where we have been more consumed with ourselves and us as individuals than being consumed with your presence and Lord what you desire for our lives Father would you reprioritize in our lives the things that you have desired for us to do oh God Lord may you speak to us and we hear Lord your voice oh so clearly that we would put into the right order We would be focused, Lord, even on the things that you desire for us to do. Father, right now, Lord, we lay down every weight, every weight, oh God, that hinders us. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Father, we lay it down. (laughs) 
Let me not just worship you in word or in deed, but truly, Lord, transform my heart this morning. Draw me close to you that I'll never be the same. I thank you. I praise you. I glorify you. In Christ Jesus' name, I do pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Hallelujah.